Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Forbidden Speech, The Raw Truth with your host, Christina Rivera. In this savvy broadcasting series, we delve into hot topics affecting us all. With cancel culture and big tech censoring any opposing ideas and thoughts outside of mainstream ideology, it has become more important than ever that we tell the raw truth about everything from U.S. world politics, COVID, Christianity, and everything in between. We invite all points of view to come and share their perspective honestly and respectfully. Hi, Laura DeVore. Welcome to Savvy Broadcasting Forbidden Speech, The Raw Truth. We're so grateful to have you here today. You're going to share your memoir and book, Darkness Was My Candle, An Odyssey of Survival and Grace. Such an amazing story that we're hoping will bring inspiration to others going through their own trauma, whatever it might be, to find their way out of darkness and into light and their own transformation. Um, but I'd like you to start to share just a little bit about your back history that even led you to writing your book and your memoir. Sure. Um, I grew up with a woman who was not capable of parenting. She was very... I believe, mentally ill. She hadn't been parented from the time she was three on. Uh, her mother became quite mentally ill and her father froze to death in a blizzard during mm -hmm. the Great Depression. And she, my mother started her life of prostitution very early on. She got her first pair of shoes by having sex with a farmhand. Wow. And um, I don't know who my father was, but there's a good chance it was my uncle because my mother and him had always been incestuous. Mm -hmm. And she sold me for the first time when I was nine. Uh, and that was just the first time. Mm -hmm. And I was eventually taken away from her by the court when I was around 13. And I'd already had a, a two very serious suicide attempts by that point. Mm -hmm. I felt like an alien who'd come to a, a, a hostile planet and couldn't understand why anybody could possibly want to live here. 
I, di I didn't know one adult that liked children or were nice to children. And so wow. I, I was a pretty lonely little girl and at the same time, very resourceful. And, and eventually because of the kindness of a neighbor named Dale Foss, she changed my life. And I suddenly realized why I was here. Um, I only knew her for about a month and she, I was saying goodbye to her and I fell apart. I was, um, I was nine at the time and I was sobbing saying, you can't leave me. I just found you. You're nice to me. What will I do when you leave? And she pulled me into her arms and was just cradling me and rubbing my back and, you know, patting my back, et cetera. And the kind of things that I'd never received. And she kept saying, I love you. You're such a good girl. And I had never heard the words love. And something came alive in me and I knew why I was born. I knew that I was born to both learn how to give love and learn how to receive love. And I believe that that's why we're all here. And wow. I, I ended up um, at the end of that time with Dale. The other thing she said to me is you have to learn to take better care of yourself because your mother's too sick and can't care for you. And she made me promise that I'd let others help me and I'd reach out to others. Mm. She said, I promise you there'll be others who will want to care for you. And so I did that. Wow. And so my book, in addition to some of the horrors that I suffered, is filled with the kindness of many, many strangers. You know what I, I love about your story is that it shows that even the kindness and compassion of one human being the difference it can make in one person's life or in many people's lives that you don't even know. And sometimes you're aware of the difference you made in your life, but sometimes you're going about your life and you're compassionate to someone. You might not see the outcome of that, or they might not even be aware of that your compassion made a difference in their life, but it does. And so, you know, just going through your life and, and giving as much compassion as possible, you can transform so many lives without even your knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, a, a years later, I actually wrote a short story that was published about Dale. Mm -hmm. And then I found her oh, wow. and she had never forgotten me. And so we had this amazing um, meeting and then she got really sick and ended up with advanced lung cancer. And I had gone to see her and she was sitting across the table from me and I started to cry. And I said, Dale, I'm so sorry. It took me so many years to find you. We've missed so much time together. Mm -hmm. she reached across the table and she said, don't be sorry. Cause you did find me. And now I'm not afraid to die. Cause I know I did one good thing in my life. Just look at you. You're like a ripple that goes out and touches so many other lives. Wow. Wow. And that is one of the many stories in your book that just shows a transformation of of compassion, forgiveness, um, and and there's just so much to your story. Now, you also talked about, and I was very, very surprised because you had entered into the dark zone of psychotherapy. And we often think of psychotherapy as, you know, a healing mechanism for people that might need it, but you had gone through a dark spell with it and then later entered into your life becoming a clinical psychologist yourself. Um, share a little bit about all that. Well, I was um, homeless, The and I won't go into the details of that. People can read the book if they're interested. But I was homeless the, a little over a month before um, I graduated from high school. It was a really hard month, but then I got through, and I got through the summer because of the kindness of someone else. And went off to college, and I was 
I had good street sense, but I didn't have any daily living skills. And there are no, there were no um, supports for people who'd been in the foster care system and foster care was relatively new back then. And I didn't even know I had to sign up for a dorm. And the first year was really stressful. One thing after another, I had moved, had to move four times. They didn't have a dorm, finally got into a dorm. I was working weekends, even though I got a couple scholarships, I still needed to earn additional money. And was working weekends as a nursing assistant at a hospital. And I started getting stalked by the respiratory therapist. Um, and one night he showed up at the bottom of my L station and tried to pull me into his car. And he'd been showing up in the halls at school and a businessman scared him off. And so I quit my job and I went into a real depression. And then uh, I realized that the dorms were closing and I had nowhere to go. And my old childhood default was, well, I can just kill myself. That was my trauma reaction, even though it wasn't called that back then. Mm. And so I took a handful of prob probably aspirin. I don't even know what it was. And then I thought, I don't want to die. That was really stupid. And I made myself throw up. Mm. And then I thought, I need someone to help me figure this out. Because I had no money and nowhere to go when the mm. dorms closed. So I went and talked to the dorm mother. And she told me that... that um, she had, she knew there were a lot of jobs available. She could help me, but she was going to put me in a taxi and send me to the ER to get checked out medically. And I could come back. And then we, she had a plan for how to help me mm -hmm. to not worry about that. So I got sent across town and in, in the ER, I checked out medically just fine. Cause I'd made myself throw up all the drugs. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to do anything, but they said they were going to send me across town to another hospital um, for a couple of days to get my feet back under me. Mm -hmm. and they said it was a brand new hospital um, and I was going to be on a York, uh, ward for young adults. It wasn't until years later that I found out, this is during the Cold War, that that entire hospital was getting money um, and doing research. And I was on a war, put on a ward with young adults who had no family support. So I had no one looking out for me mm -hmm. and I wouldn't take the drugs. My mother had been drug and alcohol addicted. Mm -hmm. And so I would spit them out do all kinds of stuff to thwart taking them mm -hmm. and eventually ran away and they got me and brought me back and they had me committed to the worst state hospital in the system. Mm. And had it not been for um, a courageous nurse at the first hospital who only worked evenings, who vowed you know, to do absolutely everything in her power to get me out and felt what was happening was wrong. And mm. that I, and told me I had not done anything wrong mm. and it wasn't my fault. Um, and years later, she told me that the reason that they had me committed is because I was screwing up the research by not oh. taking the drugs. And the, re the way they knew that I wasn't taking the drugs is they were doing um, blood draws and urine analysis twice a week to see where the drugs were sitting in a person's system. Mm -hmm. And because I was initially spitting them out, it wasn't sitting anywhere in my system. And now I knew they were doing drug drug. Um, they were doing blood draws as well as UAs, but I certainly, in my mind, I didn't put those two things together. It was years later mm -hmm. when I refound her um, that I discovered that. And eventually she and I, about six years ago now, went back to Elgin State Hospital and mm -hmm. um, went to the archival library in Springfield, Illinois. And I found documents this thick. Um, about about research and about many of the things that, that were happening and that had happened to me at Elgin. Wow. So, you know, this is 
awful, but it sounds to me, you know, in, um, during the Nazi era, when they'd have the concentration camp people, they would do, um, unwarranted experiments on them. It sounds like this hospital was without consent of the patient, without telling them, we're actually just doing experiments on them. Drug experiments, was it? Absolutely, yes. Wow. And a lot of people don't realize it, but part of the history of psychiatrist um, goes all the way back to the eugenics movement. And we think of eugenics as the sterilization of people. Yeah. And, and that's only one piece of it. Eugenics is a whole way of thinking. And there was a time in our history in which there was eugenics um, thinking and teaching in every prep school across the United States, as well as um, in most universities. Mm -hmm. now, so so we literally were training, mm -hmm. um, and pardon me for being so, so straightforward about this, but it's true. We were, we were training a bunch of white privileged men to believe they were better than others. And we still see the remnants of eugenics today. Wow. So is oh, eugenics God. the idea of... Uh, but eugenics is, is the idea that some people are considered less desirables. They don't have as good a stock. Okay. And and the Nazis actually learned about eugenics through us and, and Europe. Us, ah, the United States. Wow. And, and, and eugenics was very robust in our country. But what happened is after World War II and the Nuremberg trials, people were so outraged about where the Nazis had taken it. The eugenics movement went underground, but it's still quite active. Even today? Oh, yeah. If you start listening in politics mm -hmm. to the divisiveness, you'll begin to hear flavors of it. Wow. So, hmm. So it's basically the idea of trying to create, um, get rid of the, the perfect, the perfect human, and let's get rid of the people that aren't so perfect. That's right. That's, That's right. crazy. So, yeah. so I'm considered an undesirable, or I was considered an undesirable. <laughs> I know it's pretty crazy. It is. So, and, that, and that's also the kind of thinking that they used to justify why they could not just, why they would do not just research on people like myself, people in state hospitals and other hospitals, but we did we did research on in brand new infants, on our own military, mm. on African Americans, on Native Americans, mm -hmm. on on populations as a whole. Mm -hmm. Some of the research that I came across when I was writing this book was horrifying. Yeah, I, I went through a bit of an existential crisis. You know, one of those crises where we ask the big questions like, "What the heck are we doing in the United States?" Or in the world, it's just crazy. I over the years, I've been pulled for many years since my twenties to alternative healthcare, and not saying that there's never a place for Western medicine, but combine it. And I and they call it now functional medicine, where you combine Western knowledge with um, old age knowledge of medicine, where you really have the patient be a partner with you to heal themselves and not always by, Oh, you got a problem. Here's a pill for you. Um, so I've really been bothered eight people oh. and say it again. That's how I practice as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like 17 and within a couple of years, eight people in my family died of cancer and they all went on chemo and radiation, all the traditional therapies. And I was like, what's wrong with this? These are really, really toxic things and the doctor what shocked me is when my grandma got diagnosed with um pancreatic cancer stage four and mm -hmm. they said we're going to put her on a series of chemotherapy um 
And he's, and I was excited. I said, Oh, this is gonna make everything better. Cause you know, I'm 17. What do I know? I think, right. you know, cancer therapy, it's going to make it all better. And she's going to come home. And he said, why are you so happy? This is super toxic stuff. We have to give your grandma and ho hopefully it doesn't kill her. And when he said that to me, I was shocked. It like slapped me in the face. I'm like, what do you mean kill her? Aren't you a doctor? Don't you heal? And, and that was the first moment where I began to think that maybe all of modern medicine isn't about healing. And, you know, so I've gone through my own transformation, but that's another history where, um, you said that there is an emergence of the dark history of psychology changing. Where do you see that? And where do you see the future of psychology? Well, there aren't as many state hospitals as there used to be. And mm -hmm. I think there's, um, at least in some places, I, I, I don't know, I haven't done a survey of every state hospital in the country, but in some places there's better laws in place. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I think, I think that's one thing that's changing. And I think that at least the mental health organizations I've been involved in, um, there's a, more of an emphasis on teaching people skills mm -hmm. and using integrative practices like, like mindfulness and other meditative practices mm -hmm. as opposed to just giving people drugs. Yeah, I love now, that. That's not, that's not true throughout the whole country, but it, mm -hmm. it's increasingly true in, in more places. Yeah. And certainly some of the places where I've consulted and I've done work. Mm -hmm. Well, that's part of the reason why I, I'm not so keen on psychotherapy and more psychology, because it's more about helping the person through their issues instead of like, hey, got a problem? Here's a pill. Uh, I'm not really keen on that, that method of... Now, now, that having been said, uh -huh. um, there's a difference between psychology and psychiatry. And psychologists can't... Give medicine. Uh, can't give medicine mm -hmm. and there are some good therapists out there there are some some good therapists so i don't want to throw them under the bus yeah. but, pe but people who are looking for a ther therapist need to shop around and there's some equally as good coaches who can make a profound difference in a person's life and they see the world a little bit differently particularly a lot of the transformational coaches that are out there today mm. now just before we end out here because we are coming to the end of our time you're in trouble, you're going through issues, where do you begin to know who's a good therapist, coach, or whatever that can really be the one to help you through this and not choose maybe someone less optimal? I think it's always important that you interview them. Mm -hmm. You ask them why they why they would like to work with you. So they because you want to know, and you want to know how they work, and what they see that their goals and their outcome is. And um, any questions that you have, you want to get in the driver's seat of that relationship because you're the consumer. And you want to ask them, um, if, let's say it's someone who believes in integrative medicine, you know, do they support in a, in a more integrative approach? I also believe for people with trauma, you can't fully heal unless you bring together um, spirituality and psychotherapy. And so I want to make sure if I were going back to therapy, and I had a lot of therapy for a lot of years, but I would want a therapist who really understands that and is okay with bringing the issue of psycho of spirituality into the room. Yeah. And not just giving lip service to that, because it's critical. Because when you've been traumatized, you go through what's called an existential crisis, where you ask the big questions. 
What's the purpose of life? Why did this happen to me? Will I ever be any different? Mm -hmm. And those questions are both spiritual questions as well as psychological questions. So they can't just be solved with your brain. Wow. You know what I'm getting, uh, Laura, and I wish we would do this as the human species, as well as all cross medicine, is really bring the mind, body, and spirit all on the table at once. I, I think doctors think, I'm just here to heal your body, but the spirit and the mind are not separate. They're all intertwined. And so if you're going to heal one, often you have to go deeper, ask those questions, and, and look to heal all three with the patient in partnership. You know, the other, the other role that I've had for the last 25 years is I work with an organization called the Center for Mind-Body Medicine out of Washington, D.C., and we've worked with traumatized individuals and um, whole communities around the world. So mm -hmm. we worked with um, both youth as well as staff down in Broward County in Florida mm -hmm. after the shootings down there. Mm -hmm. And we worked with firefighters after 9-11 and people in Haiti after the worst earthquake there and people in Gaza. And now I'm not part of the team because I'm doing other things right now, work related, but um, there's a team of people working with Ukrainians mm. and um, you don't have to be a therapist to take their trainings. Um, anyone can, the, the program was created, the professional training in mind body medicine was created so that they're accessible to anybody. A lot of it's online now. And it can change a person's life because we know more about how our cars run than these amazing bodies we walk around in every day. And so they teach you, you know, what happens when you're, when you're traumatized, it's not about something wrong with you. It's about the fact that your body became overwhelmed by overwhelming circumstances. And you can literally learn how to turn off the fight flight response. Mm. Wow. That is so rocket science. Uh, I want, uh, could you share where people can go again for that sure. website? Sure. It's just um, www.c, like cat, m, like mother, b, like boy, and m, like mother, cmbm.org. Awesome. Awesome. And I don't want us to leave without everyone finding out how they can get their copy of Darkness Was My Candle. Where can they find a copy of it and uh, find out more about you? Sure. Um, my website is Laura DeVore. And again, it's L-O-R-A-D-E, capital V-O-R-E, dot com, lauradevore.com. And um, all, most both Amazon, Barnes & Noble, just about any bookseller can order the book. They're part of a, and that's awesome. true in the United Kingdom as well. Awesome. Well, I just have to thank you again, Laura, for being such an inspiration and, and really pushing past your trauma to bring your message of compassion and forgiveness and that, you know, people can work through their own trauma and come out the other end. Thank you so much for coming to Savvy Broadcasting Forbidden Speech today. Thank you so much. It was an honor. Thanks. Like, subscribe, and share this episode. To listen to more Forbidden Speech or Savvy episodes, visit SavvyBroadcasting.com. To find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or how to become a guest, email Christina at LifeUnscriptedRadio.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.